0: shalom and and peace, y'all. Welcome to the Reverend Dan and Rabbi Matt podcast, where two Texas clergy from two different faiths talk about everything from Jesus' transfiguration to why Matt says Elisha and I say Elisha. I'm Reverend Dan.
1: And I'm Rabbi Matt, and this podcast is proof that peace is possible.
0: Welcome to the podcast. Today on the podcast, we'll talk about some activism that has taken place in our community as well as in Austin within the last couple of weeks. We'll unpack the transfiguration of Jesus, and we'll talk about building coalitions for justice work across our differences, all in the short, short span of roughly 30 minutes. This is your friendly neighborhood pastor, Dan DeLeon, coming at you from Texas A&M Hillel, where we're recording today's podcast. We're on air. I'm sitting across from my good friend and interfaith colleague and Blue Baker lunch partner, Rabbi Matt Rosenberg.
1: Howdy. How you doing?
0: I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing?
1: Um, I'm uh, I'm feeling a bit overextended lately. I've uh, I traveled a bit too much. Um, you know, I had that trip to New York and uh, then went to Dallas and this week trips to Austin as well as Houston, and that uh, really takes it out of me, and uh, takes a bit of time. So I, I don't know what I can pull back on, especially my activity level since the election, and uh, you know, things just need to get done.
0: Yeah, this is a kind of the hashtag clergy problems right. that are uh, surfacing more and more, but the, the tough time that I have is trying to explain to other people what I do in any given week, right, I mean, all the travel that you just did, then you have to explain what it is that's behind that. I went to um my kids had a swim meet mm-hmm. uh, a few days ago, and I get to the swim meet, and this is on a Sunday, so I've done teaching the confirmation class for the kids, yeah, right, done the worship service, fellowship with the congregation, had a high school class after the worship service then get in the car and go to another town for the swim meet. Right. I've neglected to pack a change of clothes. All the yeah. other parents are out there with the shorts and T-shirt <laughs> and whatever else. And I'm in my Sunday best or right. lack thereof. And then I uh, sit down next to a parent, another parent, and, and they um, t- say like, so, so what, do you, uh, what do you do? Right. What do you do in a week? Yeah. And I try to explain it. And um, I don't know how to do it in a way that's understandable. I mean, for one thing, you talk about judicatory work. Mm-hmm. A, who cares? B, even if they know what you're talking about, it's, again, who I have cares? No idea what you're talking about. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but the other thing is, in talking about justice work, mm-hmm. I was mentioning the – I was telling this parent about the increase in um, ice raids in our right. community and how our congregation and collaboration with – A few others are trying to figure out how to advocate for the immigrant community because Mm -hmm. we're pretty passionate about justice work. And I don't know if uh, I I think this parent was following what I was doing, but Mm -hmm. I try to kind of hold back because I don't know that. Justice work and social justice is going to resonate with them. Is going to resonate with them, Um, and and I'm not speaking about whether they agree or disagree. I just it's it's one of these things where sometimes when it comes to matters of Christianity and Judaism, I would imagine that people don't associate justice work and social justice with.
1: And and that makes me think is your is your congregation
0: going to fulfill a role of a a sanctuary of? Some kind. It's a great question. We're looking into it. Uh-huh. We had it actually came across um, my desk a few weeks back, uh, where there was an organization asking for us to sign on right. as a as a sanctuary church, and rather than say sure and take the pledge, I of course went to our church leaders to say, "Is this something that you want Absolutely. to empower me right. to do?" and in that raised discussion about well why don't we take this to the congregation mm-hmm. so that not only can they all have a vote on this but better yet we can all get educated as to what this means what is it going to entail being a sanctuary church and right how are we connected with other sanctuary churches or haven churches another terminology that i Yeah i heard an NPR story this about. morning
1: uh, that there's like a a program where they're training labor responders in, in Austin to respond in case there's a raid to create a sanctuary in the home of where the raid might be happening. And through text notification, it sounded really incredible. You know, Hillel is a student center, not a synagogue. So this really doesn't apply to me. But I know that there are synagogues that are that are also involved in this, too, in other areas of the country.
0: There's um, a great organization. I believe it's called Grassroots Leadership, org, But... They have um, in the Austin Sanctuary Network. They're mm-hmm. helping them with what's called sanctuary in the streets. Yeah, that's what. And it that's was, yeah, right. and that's exactly sure. what you're talking about. Yeah, but the problem that they're having is that, um, and I know this from having the opportunity to attend a recent meeting of the Austin Sanctuary Network, mm-hmm. is that they they have hundreds, literally hundreds of people, right, who are wanting to get trained yeah. on sanctuary in the streets so that they can figure out how to respond Mm -hmm. um, legally, practically, and safely. Um, But there's only six people Mm. who are offering the training right now. They're they're just completely overworked. And I
1: think that's a problem Mm -hmm. in a lot of communities. So many people want to get involved, but what's the right method to get involved? Um, I wasn't able to attend a town hall meeting, which took place here at Hillel, which wasn't related to Hillel, but it was a town hall meeting uh, inviting congressman Flores to – To come to a town hall because he hasn't scheduled one yet locally, and uh, I wasn't able to attend that because of other things going on. But then last night I was able to attend a a meeting that was held here in the community uh, of people coming together, meeting for the first time, progressive individuals wanting to work on social justice issues. And we're both going to be at another one on Monday. There's a lot of these and a lot of this coordination that is happening and needs to happen so that organizations can either come together, merge as necessary, get on the same page and figure out how to get our word out to the community so the community who is interested in helping and responding can have this leadership and and know what to do and where to where to put their time and energy to be most effective.
0: Yeah, and hopefully we'll get to to more of that at the end of today's podcast, but see look what we, we what we already did. We, we just we start off by checking in with each other and saying, how are you doing? <laughs> right. What's going on in your life? And we immediately jump to all of these things that are happening in our community, how our ministries can be involved in it, what our our, our congregants are, are doing. And uh, it's exciting, but we're so ensconced in it. It is. There's so much going that on. That that's where we go uh, immediately.
1: I, I had a witty response for what? Um, you were talking about you know, t- kind of explaining what you do in a week. And I, I tend to say that I I just – I answer email and sign things. That's that's what I do. I just basically – I
0: preach, I teach, I administer the sacraments. I mostly
1: just, mostly just email and, you know, and <laughs> signing things. That's, that's what I do.
0: That sounds like a good gig. Yeah. 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 So um, uh, pray for us is what Matt and I are saying. Pray for us, people. Um I can tell you that also this week, just a few other personal things, this week I attended Ministers Week Mm -hmm. at Bright Divinity School. Well, not at Bright Divinity School, offered by Bright Divinity School at University Christian Church in Fort Worth, Mm -hmm. and um, sparing you all the details, the... uh, the person who delivered the sermons every night for our worship services was Reverend Dr. Amy Butler, wow. who's the seventh pastor of the historic Riverside Church in New York, where okay. James Forbes and William Sloan Coffin hmm. and others have are her predecessors, huh. and where Bill Moyers worships today. She even mentioned that, saying, you know, next time you guys get in the pulpit, just think about... Uh, my position of right. looking out into the <laughs> congregation and seeing Bill Moyers. That's amazing. So yeah, she was pretty fantastic. And 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 also I mentioned that because it was a breath of fresh life seeing being in a worship service right. um and hearing the message delivered where I could, you know, get my cup filled a bit mm-hmm. yeah. and not have to worry about things. So that was That's good. great. That's
1: great. Yeah. Uh, a few months ago I was asked by my seminary to write a piece about this week's Torah portion Mishpatim from the book of Exodus uh, to be sent over their listserv. And, you know, usually it's deans and faculty members who get to write these pieces. And this is the first time I've ever been asked. So I was really honored. And that piece was due on Monday. And so I wrote it and it got sent out on Wednesday to their tens of thousands of subscribers and got to read my words of Torah, which was really quite the honor. And uh, I'm really, very proud of being able to do that and share, share my thoughts. And it's probably from this podcast. You know this, this notoriety that we've, we've gained. I, I and, would
0: imagine. Yeah. Uh, one need only look at our Twitter handle. Yes. Where we have, right. I believe, two followers at this no, point.
1: No, four. We're think, up to four. I think they're mostly we've doubled yeah, different, since the last time. Different accounts of mine. Yeah.
0: Doubled. <laughs> this is fantastic. What is our Twitter handle?
1: Um, we don't even know. It's uh, at Rev Dan Rabbi Matt, I believe.
0: <sighs> okay, that's wonderful. Try that. Uh, you if, the, and and the actually check this out. If you yep. go to our Twitter handle, uh, my picture. my title is misspelled. It's it's the revered Dan DeLeon as opposed on your to the personal. Reverend. No, no, no. On this Twitter, on our Twitter handle. Oh, I'm sorry. Check it out. I don't mind. Uh, <laughs> it, I, it's interesting to be the revered. We'll just keep it that way for a little while.
1: How, you know when I. Uh, when I fly on an airline and they have the drop-down menu of different titles, rabbi is not on the title ever. So I always select reverend because I figure it's the closest thing to rabbi. You know, Rav is also another name for rabbi. And so Rev, Rav, Revely, it all, it all makes sense, right?
0: <laughs> I, I speaking suppose. Of,
1: speaking of not being the funniest person in the neighborhood, no. We'll come to that later, right?
0: Yeah, sure. We'll get to that. <laughs> what we want to do is is do a little recap because – There's always, it seems these days, activism happening and good social justice efforts. Absolutely. But uh, we left you at the last podcast with a little bit of a crossroads. What to do, what uh, to participate in. And on February 9th, there were a couple of things happening on campus. And Matt, you participated in one of them, I believe. Two of them,
1: yeah, actually. Um, So first was the TAMU Tamu anti-racism group, the student group, um, having a event protest in honor of the one-year anniversary of that racist incident that happened on campus where there were some Dallas high school students who were visiting the campus and there were some racial epithets shouted at them. Uh, the university's response at the time was quick and um, very efficient and very powerful. And uh, But they were protesting the lack of other uh, systematic changes since then. Right. And so they had this event in Rudder Plaza and um, – I brought one of, my, one of my signs, one of my many pre-written signs that I've been using the last few months for protests and uh, went with a couple of students and stood there with them. And then, and then they were going to go um, tape letters onto, onto doors within different faculty offices. But at the same time, the um, Academics United protest was also starting up in uh, the academic plaza, which was put on in response to the executive order. Uh, by students from the banned countries by President Trump. And there were some very powerful talks from individuals who are from those banned countries who are here on student visas who may not, who are worried about being able to go home because if they go home, they might not be able to come back. These are graduate students, undergraduates, faculty who are at this institution, Texas A and M is the institution with the most number of students impacted by the travel ban, and thankfully, it's been put on the back burner by by the courts. But at the same time, there's a very real fear. Um, the administration says they're going to issue a new executive order that's going to do the same thing, but legally. And uh, it was a very it was a very moving, powerful experience to hear these stories, and then we marched throughout campus and um, it was a very powerful experience but ultimately a very exciting day because there were two protests going on on campus at the same time it was really phenomenal for two different things and did they one overlap was, um, did they join each other no they never joined each other it was some people from one group went to went to both and some people were just there for for certain things
0: okay that's a challenge um, that we talk about quite often, all mm-hmm. these different groups and different causes.
1: Right. And looking towards April, especially when we have April Fool's Day protests against the administration, April 15th, Tax Day protests, April 22nd, Earth Day, scientists protesting. So there's going to be three major protests in April, a lot of people were asking last night at the coordinating meeting we had, like, well, what's the next thing? And right now, the next big thing isn't until April 1st. So, I don't know if that's too far away. Does something need to happen before then? We're approaching March now as we record this, and... Do we do we wait to come together April first, or do we wait to see if the tweet of the day or t- tomorrow's headlines is going to cause us to need to protest about something else? So it's always it's like this constant: when do we next protest? And I was talking to friends last night and at, at this meeting and about the nineteen rabbis who were arrested and kind of the snowball effect that it had. That a few days later. Several hundred Christian leaders put a full page out in the New York Times, and, you know, I think it started clergy thinking about the executive order more. But, you know, when is when is that time? When is the next time we need to what's, – what's that line that has to be crossed in order for us to call for another protest? Because right now, every single day is an insane tweet, an insane headline. There should be things – if this were in a normal – time and normal administration we would be protesting today because of whatever's going whatever's like for instance the fbi and looking into the russian hacking you know serious serious things that should be recognized and we need to have our voices out there so what, what's that line now
0: right well and what i worry about too is the hyper engagement right that's happening on the one hand it's it's great to see all of this energy, like you just mentioned, to protests right. happening on campus, uh, both viable things, necessary things. But with any kind of hyper-engagement like mm-hmm. this, it only is going to last so long. right? Especially if it is disjointed and scattered and anxious, mm-hmm. it'll fizzle out even quicker. This concerns me. Yes. And one of my um, mentors that I ran into at Ministers Week last week was... Uh, sharing a thomas merton quote with me that i can't remember the quote mm-hmm. but essentially thomas merton was saying that uh in referring to the in uh, the civil rights movement and he was talking about how when when it starts to die down when interest uh, not interest but when people become fatigued right it's the faith leaders who will stick around it's the people of faith who are going to duke it out right um now I don't bring that up here as some absolute statement of uh, you know either or uh, people of faith versus uh, atheists or or gnostics or what have you. That's not what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. What uh, what I'm getting at is how long can we who are have faith in right. what it is that we're doing sustain this exactly? And if there is truth to what Thomas Merton was saying, for the likes of you and me and our clergy mm-hmm. peers. I worry about, given what we talked about from the beginning of the show, how much are we going to be able to give to these ongoing efforts? Exactly.
1: And even if we wait till April 1st for the next protest, three protests in April is, is going to be exhausting. It's, it's going to take a lot of energy. It's a lot of coordination. And a lot of effort. Um, Anthony Romero, who's the CEO of the ACLU, who spoke to us at my conference that I went to in New York with the 200 other rabbis, uh, he said that while the ACLU can sue and be involved on legal issues, there's certain moral issues that only clergy can have a voice in. Right, right. And it's our role. And that's where we especially need to focus Mm -hmm. and make sure that we're being involved. And that makes me think of things like the bathroom bill in Texas, Mm -hmm. especially. yeah. And this transphobia and LGBT phobia that seems to be sweeping the state in this legislative session, unfortunately.
0: Sure. And people – I'm glad you brought that up because people who – those of us who look at that strictly in terms of the law, that's fine. You know, you you want to – we want to be law abiding citizens, right. but yes, there is a morality that needs to be able to hold the law accountable mm-hmm. because at, you know, from a Christian perspective, Jesus is constantly saying the law is great and I have nothing against it. Right. I'm actually here to fulfill it mm-hmm. in its authenticity because if the law is going to be authentic, then it always has to be, uh, advocating for the people. It always has to be looking out for the good of all of the people Emphasizing the most vulnerable.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: So, I mean, again, with the exhaustion piece, it's not just about our schedules. It's not about hitting the pavement. It's also about just a literally the brain power and mm-hmm. the heart that it mm-hmm. takes to, to you know, find moral discernment right. in this.
1: And you tweeted the other day about you know the fact that the the energy expended in giving a sermon is like working out. And I always right. feel that way after I after I work out, and I tweeted back that, you know, I wish my Fitbit would count those <laughs> steps when I'm standing on the pulpit, and, you know, I, I tend to move. I tend not to be able to stand still. So, I'm always moving and rocking back and forth and moving a little bit, and I'm constantly checking my Fitbit. And it's never even registering any steps. So, all the more so, it should be registering something for me, some kind of exercise when I give a sermon. And if we're involved in a protest and all the – Everything that's involved in getting ready for it and actually being there is is certainly certainly exhausting physically as well as mentally.
0: That was a good plug. So if you go to Fitbit.com and <laughs> if you just type in Rabbi Matt in the promo code, you'll get nothing. You get absolutely nothing. Zero, zero percent nothing. off. However, I do like uh, I, I like your chutzpah there, and uh, maybe maybe Fitbit is going to come up with some program or app or what have you, specifically for clergy. I should hope so. Specifically for us. Well, on um, February 9th, for me, um, I chose to go to Austin and they were having a, uh, uh, let's see, it was the Texas Freedom Network was putting on, I can't remember the exact title, but it was a press conference that was um, Clergy Leaders for Equality. And the purpose of it was to stand in solidarity against SB6, which Mm -hmm. is otherwise known as the Insidious Bathroom Bill. right. And um, I was very encouraged to see a wide swath of clergy, not only from Austin, mm-hmm. but surrounding cities, hmm. different denominations, different religions. And Great. they had four speakers at the conference. Um, it was, one was a United Church of Christ pastor, mm-hmm. uh, Neil Cazares Thomas, who's pastor of Cathedral of Hope, Dallas, and um, a rabbi from Houston, cool. uh, a an African-American Pastor, uh, woman from Houston as well, and one um, openly transgender Episcopal priest, mm. Episcopalian priest, and um, one of the most moving things that I heard from their remarks, mm-hmm. all of which were compelling and energizing for not only the clergy in the room but also for the press and others who had gathered. Right, uh, came from the um, transgender priest mm-hmm. who was talking about how there are many uh, transgender members and families in his congregation. Right. And he was trying to – he was dispelling the myth that those who are advocates of SB6 would have us believe that if SB6 were to uh, not pass, mm-hmm. that transgender people would suddenly – jump to the bathrooms right and just attack this opportunity to uh you know take over the bathrooms right and he was saying in the transgender experience we're terrified of the bathroom but right.
1: they're far more likely to be attacked in the bathroom
0: than than anyone else and that's that's a piece of of the experience that i've read about heard about right. but in a moment like that when it's shared publicly and yeah. saying these are my people this is what's going on um it really hits home. Mm-hmm. Those reminders hit home. And he was saying, I've got kids, I've got transgender children um, and youth in my congregation who won't drink anything all day mm. so that they won't have to go to the bathroom. Wow. So that they won't be p- placed in that yeah. situation. So, That's horrible. Yeah. But <sighs> while many of the people in that room, in that environment, agree on the topic. Mm-hmm we need to know why we do Mm -hmm. why it's imperative and so that we can have more fodder and stories and experiences to share with others who don't know about SB6 and what it could do if it were to go into effect.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that opponents uh, in some circles have taken the economic route to try to oppose it and the right. economic impact the business That's uh, right? Because hopefully that's what the state legislature will actually listen to because they're not going to listen to the moral issue and that there's these are human beings these trans individuals who are completely frightened of using the bathroom. Their their fear uh, the party in charge is is fear mongering and I'm not sure where this where this comes from at all because there's no no reliable valid statistics to back up anything related to the bathroom bill and the fact that trans individuals are attacking anyone there's there's no there are no cases of this mm-hmm.
0: Well, from the um, from the transgender bathroom bill to the Transfiguration of Jesus, yes, let's do this. Absolutely. Talking about the Transfiguration of Jesus, uh, I was sharing with Rabbi Matt before we got on the podcast today. Have you heard the Transfiguration? Not not familiar. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, just a, a a quick synopsis. The Transfiguration of Jesus is a story that is involved in the lectionary texts of. Um, for Christian churches, and the lectionary really quickly is the cycle of texts that are given over a a three-year period and repeat um, from Sunday to Sunday, Mm -hmm. and the Transfiguration is in there every year, so it's not just once every three years. It's a familiar story, but one that we clergy people have a tough time unpacking sometimes because it is so amazing and mysterious. And basically, what the story is, and this Sunday, it's the version from the Gospel of Matthew, the 17th chapter, where Jesus takes a handful of his disciples, why he chooses them and not all of them, I don't know, Mm -hmm. to go to the top of a mountain. And at the top of this mountain, Jesus is transfigured before their eyes. His garments become a radiant white. His face shines like the sun, Mm -hmm. and... He is also suddenly in the company of Moses and Elijah. Mm -hmm. And out of a cloud that overshadows them is the voice of God that says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And the disciples close their eyes out of blinded amazement. Mm -hmm. And when they open them, they are alone with Jesus. Um, And there's more to the story than that. But the main reason why I wanted to bring it up with you, Matt, is because... In studying for this text yet again, yes, for Sunday, Uh, I'm compelled by Jesus. I'm going to say collaborating Mm -hmm. with Moses and Elijah, right? And so one of one of the things that I came across, and I I have to give thanks to the guys at Pulpit Fiction, Uh, if you haven't checked out their podcast, check it out, Pulpit Fiction. But they came across a work of Warren Carter, and Warren Carter points out that. the similarities that Jesus now shares in this moment with Moses and Elijah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moses and Elijah have both had divine encounters right. on mountaintops. Uh, they have both faced major opposition from the political entities of their day. Uh, Moses against Pharaoh and mm-hmm. uh, King Ahab against Elijah. Right, And one represents the law, Moses, and another Represents the prophets Elijah, and um, and Carter says that Jesus' association with Moses and Elijah quote emphasizes his similar tasks and identity to confront Rome's oppressive rule, mm-hmm. to reveal God's will, to experience rejection, and to be vindicated by God. So the collaboration is that you've got this um, priestly and prophetic role mm-hmm. with uh, Moses and Elijah. With Jesus here in the transfiguration. Right. So, but the the other piece of this is that uh, Moses gets a lot of attention. Yes. And a lot of biblical real estate. Right. But Elijah, not so much. Right. And, he, and he's a huge part of the Jewish tradition. He is, he is. And he's also, as I reminded you, your favorite.
1: Right. And then I reminded you that... He, My other favorite is Elisha. So, you know, there's this old saying, two Jews, three opinions. And so, therefore, one Jew can at least have two opinions. And Elijah's my favorite. And Elisha's my favorite. And Elisha, of course, is the disciple of Elijah. So, it makes sense. Why not? They go together. But, yes, Moses is seen as our lawgiver. He is... He embodies Torah, he is the giver of Torah, and so he is he's our he's our quintessential prophet. He's he's the man. But at the same time, what I just thought of is that Moses is not mentioned anywhere in the Passover Seder, anywhere in the Haggadah, ah. the 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 prayer book for the Passover Seder, basically. Elijah, however, has a has kind of a starring role. We put a cup out on the On the Seder table for Elijah, and when you have little kids, you try to make some of the wine in the cup disappear to make it look like Elijah came and drank from the the cup. You open the door for Elijah. You also open up the door for anyone who's hungry and allow them to come to eat, come and eat. Um, Elijah plays a major role in Jewish life cycle events, besides the Seder, but also it's thought in the Jewish tradition that he attends every Brit Milah, every circumcision. And there's a special chair for the prophet Elijah because the prophet he didn't think that the Jewish tradition would continue and he was a he was a naysayer. He was a little negative. So therefore tradition teaches that because of that God said you're going to attend every Passover Seder and you're going to attend every Brit Milah just to see the continuation of the Jewish people. And what's fascinating about it is the Passover Seder and circumcision are two of the most commonly performed rituals even in very secular American Jewish communities. Almost every Jew attends a Passover Seder. Almost every Jewish male is circumcised. You know, these two rituals that Elijah is supposed to be present at that continue to be observed by almost all American Jews, no matter how secular.
0: Okay. So if, if I hear what you're saying with... The importance of Elijah ritualistically, ritualistically. Mm-hmm. But in, why is why is he the man? What about Elijah, this this character in, right. in the scriptures?
1: Well, Elijah and Enoch are the two people within the Jewish text that are thought to have not ascended to heaven. Enoch being in the Book of Genesis, but a much less popular character than Elijah. But Elijah is thought to be the herald of the coming of the Messiah. Elijah is the one who will will be the one marching out before the Messiah when he or she arrives and so Elijah's taken on this major character role in the Jewish tradition as miracle worker of bringer of news and and attempting to get people to be better versions of themselves and there's a lot of influence with Elijah of uh, of Elijah dressing as a poor beggar to to see what people will do in certain situations.
0: Mm. So the in, in getting people to rise to their best selves, right. in getting people to look at the world differently. These are these are traits of Elijah that often in Christian circles we don't know these things. Mm-hmm. And so, when we look at the transfiguration story, we emphasize the messiahship of mm-hmm. Jesus. Versus, so why is he there with Moses and Elijah? Right. What 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 about them yeah. impacts this story? Yeah, and a
1: lot of the Jewish tradition is that you know, we're responsible for bringing about a messianic age. The Messiah is not going to come until the world's ready for the Messiah. So every generation is responsible for making the world a better place, so that it is. A receptive place for the Messiah. The Messiah is not going to, in the Jewish tradition, the Messiah is not going to come about and bring about a utopia. We have to work towards that utopia, and the Messiah, Elijah's going to herald in a Messiah who's going to kind of bring people together and help improve that utopia, but we've done most of the work which is as a, humans.
0: Yeah, which is a constant reminder in the Lord's Prayer or the Abba Prayer in Christian circles that we say all the time mm-hmm. that if we took it to heart, would... Uh, would be the result of what you're saying right there. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will mm-hmm. be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, but that often gets set aside for the notion of pie in the sky heaven. Right. But if God is going to make God's home among mortals, mm-hmm. as uh, the book of Revelation tells us, then it goes back to um, the foundation of Elijah's uh, message. Um, Elijah's personhood of we've got to make the world a suitable home then for God, for our Messiah.
1: Every Saturday Saturday night when we conclude the Sabbath with a ceremony called Havdalah, when three stars appear in the sky on Saturday night and darkness falls, we sing a song about Elijah Mm. to remind us that we need to do this work in the coming week. As we transition from the Sabbath when we don't do any work to the time to Sunday basically – Saturday night, Sunday, when we do are allowed to do work, we sing this song to think about what we need to do to to bring about this messianic age.
0: And tell me what you were sharing before about Muhammad in this collaboration between Jesus and Moses and Elijah.
1: Well, so yeah, so in Islam, um, and I had a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about Islam on Friday night. We invited the new Imam to the community, um, Imam Islam Masad. Um, to Hillel, and he spoke about the five pillars of Islam, and he was talking about how Islam sees uh, Elijah and Jesus and Moses as prophets, but of course Muhammad being the most recent and final prophet for for Muslims. Um, it was a really eye opening and awesome talk, and uh, Imam Islam is was. Very funny and uh, quite hilarious, and it's it's a little concerning to me because uh, I I thought I was funny, but he's definitely funnier. And uh,
0: open up about your insecurities. Uh,
1: so yeah, I will. And you know, I don't know if this town's big enough for to. To uh, traditionally persecuted religious group, funny leaders. I might just have to leave. He is, he's, he's, he's funny. He's very funny, and I look forward to learning from him again because he's, he's, he's a great speaker. And he chanted some verses of Quran for us. It was absolutely just a, a beautiful learning experience. I was rolling on the floor laughing. It was like a comedy show and, uh, and just profoundly spiritual experience. So hopefully we can get
0: Imam Islam uh, to we, talk you, with us in this you, podcast. You might just replace me.
1: So um, yeah. I, yep. that's, that's what I fear.
0: I'll try my best not to laugh harder at his jokes. <laughs> okay. But, Thanks. okay, so in, in moving to the last thing we want to talk about today, how are we doing in terms of making this world better, suitable um, mm-hmm. from a Jewish perspective for Elijah's right. return? how are we doing in making this world a better place to reflect God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to be a home for God to uh, make among mortals. And uh, it it seems like it's going to take much more of this collaborative work. Absolutely. What we've talked about recently with coalition building. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my question I want to throw out to you is the same one that we shared uh, last night in the National Association for Chicano-Chicano Studies panel right uh how do we build coalitions across our differences right what so, do you think
1: well solve um, it come on i i will um just with this uh, citation to uh rabbi angela Buchdahl, who was uh, one of the featured speakers at this conference i went to in new york and she said religious leaders need to come together on the issues we can come together on, that there's some things that just we put aside. Um, you know, My view of abortion is different from the Catholic community, for instance, but there's a lot of issues that we agree on, and uh, we need to come together on the issues that we agree on and work together to, to change the world. And uh, we, I worry that we took a few steps back in November and then in January, um, and we need to keep marching together, arm in arm, collective, on, on the issues that we care about.
0: There was, uh, there, there was a speaker at the at Ministers Week who talked about this thing as well, uh, collaborative efforts. And two things that she shared that were very uh, profound for me, one is talking about how in our congregations, mm-hmm. gone is the model of one pastor and his or her flock. Right. Uh, we can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. We have to do coalition building. There's right. no way that we can do stuff on our own anymore. Mm-hmm. It simply doesn't work. It's uh, it's too uh, narrow minded, right. and you're also going to burn out. Absolutely. And she said, in order to change that, you're going to need a paradigm shift. You're mm-hmm. going to need to change that very paradigm. And so, more of the conversations that you and I are having. Uh, more of the of the activities like the Imam coming to mm-hmm. Hillel the other night and so on and so forth are are not just for our education but they 're a necessity absolutely and the other thing that she was saying that was um, distinctly profound was she was talking about intersectional justice, mm-hmm. and we talk a great deal about different forms of justice uh, there 's gender justice there 's racial justice it's, you know, fill in the topic Mm -hmm. or issue. But if we simply think in terms of these different topics and issues, there's no room for intersectional justice. And without intersectional justice, then these different topics or issues can be manipulated by the powers who created those divisions in the first place. And as history has shown us, that simply draws us further and further from each other as marginalized populations, while the powerful gain more and more power. So, again, uh, the challenge is how do we form these coalitions across the differences where we are not going to be saying, my, I am more important than you. My right. cause is more important than yours. How can we celebrate uh, where each other is coming from mm-hmm. versus choosing one over the other? Right. Um, so, there, yeah, there's my question back at you.
1: Yeah. What do you I, got? I, I, I just think we need to, to – March together. We just need to come together on the issues that we we can. And sometimes we just have to put blinders on, perhaps, and focus on the issues that we, we do agree about. And there's so many issues now right. in 2017 America that are much higher priority issues than other things that might divide us. And so, it's time to focus on those front and center issues.
0: Changing the narrative, to even when it comes to things that used to be what we could all agree on, like compassion. Mm-hmm. The word compassion seems to have been politicized, that if you are a compassionate person, that you're involved well, in these issues. A snow, then you're a snowflake, right? <laughs> right. For example, right? So how can we change that narrative and get back to, uh, no, actually, these are the tenets of our faith. Right. Um, so all this is just kind of reflective of this uh, model of Jesus collaborating with Moses and Elijah or Moses and Elijah collaborating with Jesus, mm-hmm. working in Muhammad, of course, absolutely uh, as part of the story that we all can share and learn from. But we've got a lot of work to do.
1: Right. But we can allow, we can follow the voices of the prophets and uh, learn from them and try to get closer to God through them.
0: Everybody, we really appreciate you listening to us. We're trying to sort through this, obviously, as we go, and we appreciate your feedback and want to hear from you about what we can be talking about and also your ideas that might answer some of these questions we're throwing out. Sure. These aren't just for the two of us. We want to know how we as a community here in the Brazos Valley and the wider community, for those of you who are listening to us outside of these uh, uh, the Brazos County limits, might make this world a better place. So join us in that effort and uh, stay tuned for the next episode of the Rabbi Matt and Reverend Dan podcast. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you all. Peace. Shalom.